Well, we spent about 14 weeks looking at the book of James, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And now we're going to move into uh, a new sermon series over the summer um, about prayer. I know some of you have asked questions about prayer, and we hope to answer those questions as we uh, look at this sermon series. Hey, buddy. <laughs> um, so we, we uh, want to answer the question today, what is prayer? What is prayer? A few weeks after Callie had given birth to our second kiddo, Kyle, who's over there doing the slides for us, a friend of mine who was a youth pastor in the Dallas area called me and asked me to come to Mexico with him as a translator, because I'm fluent in Spanish, to meet a pastor in a village where they had previously done some missionary work and some construction. And it had been years since he had last seen the pastor, but he wanted to connect with him again and see how his church could serve their church or, or even their village. There was no way to get a hold of this pastor as the nearest phone was in the bigger city that was about 20 miles outside of this village. And uh, so we just hoped that the pastor and his church members would be there when we arrived one late Tuesday night. We pulled into the dimly lit village nowhere to stay, and drove around until my friend remembered where the pastor lived. As we walked up to his front door, the neighbor came out and told us that they were at the church building that night. Again, it was a Tuesday night around 10.30 p.m. The friendly neighbor gave us directions to the church building, and as we found a place to park, we could see the lights on, and we heard Spanish worship music just blaring. We approached the building slowly, and the realization came clear to my friend and I uh, that there was a prayer meeting going on. We walked in the doors, and the pastor turned around, and he saw us, and his face lit up. And he said, we've been meeting for prayer for the last few weeks that God would send someone to help us expand our facilities as we are reaching so many people in the village with the gospel and we need more space. Stories like this about prayer, they give us a, a jolt of passion, a jolt of zeal, and sometimes we think, I wish my prayer life was like that, like the people in that village. And it's difficult at times to think of prayer as something we get to do and more like something we begrudgingly have to do to keep God happy. Prayer seems abstract or easier to let the pastor or the worship leader do it for you. Kevin DeYoung, a pastor in North Carolina, he asks the rhetorical question in a book I've been reading about prayer. He says, is there any activity more essential to the Christian life but yet more discouraging in the Christian life than prayer. So before we answer the question, what is prayer, we have to answer the question, what is prayer not? Or what, what do we d try not to define prayer as? Over the centuries, there has been many attempts to define prayer. In 2022, you could ask about 10 people on the street what prayer is, especially here in West Texas, and you would probably get many different answers. But some kind of response would be talking to God. That's what the answer you might get from some people. What about you? And this is rhetorical. What about you? Think about for just a moment, how would you define prayer? 
One of our three core values that's right behind me right here, one of our three core values begins with the Bible. So if we hold to the standard that God's word is the final authority, not only in our life, but the life of our church and the life of the individual believer, that is where we need to find our definitions. But before we attempt to biblically define what prayer is, we need to clarify what prayer isn't. So here's a list, and this is not an exhaustive list. Prayer is not summoning God. We don't summon God with our prayers. We don't activate the Holy Spirit with our prayers. And we don't activate his power in prayer either. And you're like, whoa, Ricky, I've heard different things on that. Let's let the sermon series play out and see what the Bible says. And it's not telling God what to do, and it's not some magic incantation that manipulates God into doing something. It's not what prayer is. And one that we might struggle with here in West Texas is prayer is not thinking about something flippantly and counting it as prayer. And I know some of these sound silly or even a little far-fetched, but often what is caught and taught in places like West Texas where there's not a whole lot of biblical depth is, the pray is that prayer is left to the end of something or when you're completely desperate. Some of us have heard, you know, I had no idea what the answers were on the test, especially if you're a teacher. I had no idea what the answers were on the test, so what did I do? I prayed instead of studying and then doing better on the test. My hope is as, at your, as your pastor that at the end of this sermon series throughout the summer, the Word of God will help you build a more robust, more practical, and an overwhelming desire to pray. And let it be this. Let, this. let our response be this. I get to pray and not I guess I'll pray. I get to pray and not I guess I'll pray. So let's get to our question. What is prayer? You're going to be blown away by this, okay? Simply put, prayer is talking to God. So there you go. You can go to lunch. You're smarter. <laughs> Simply put, prayer is talking to God. Pastor John Piper, he nuances this a little more in his answer, and he says, prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. Listen to how he uses his words. He says, prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is just a question and answer, it asks the same, the same question, and the answer it gives is this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Let me read that one more time. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. The great reformer John Calvin in his Institutes to the Christian Faith, he says, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. This is how we exercise our faith, is the primary way of prayer. It is faith in action. It is the primary way true faith in Christ expresses itself. 
Thus meaning this. If, that's, if it's the primary way we express our faith, prayerlessness is practical atheism, demonstrating a lack of belief in God. Michael Reeves says in his book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life. When we pray, we act out our faith in God because we believe that he's going to hear us through Christ. If we don't pray, then we are practicing atheism. When we come to a situation and we think, well, uh, yeah, I, I just don't know what to do. I'm just going to wash my hands of it and move on. Practical atheism. But we are people of the book. We are God's people who submit to God's word. And I'm hoping that you're a little annoyed with me. And though these are respectable men and respectable resources and they're great answers, I hope you're yelling at me in your mind and you're saying, get us to the book, Ricky. Get us to the Bible. We are people of the book. Get us there. What does the Bible say prayer is? Much like the word Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, we do not have a specific place in Scripture where we can find the word Trinity. So we can't find, you can't go to the Scriptures and, and okay, what is prayer? And it answers it for you. But prayer is from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation. The whole of Scripture has prayer. As is prayer from the very beginning to the very end of Scripture. In the account of Genesis, from the start, we see why prayer exists. Listen to this. An infinite, uncreated, completely satisfied in himself, in the joy of the Trinity, God creates all things visible and invisible. And in chapter 1 of Genesis, a rhythm is set for us. You can go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 1, a rhythm is set for us, and we see the words, and God said. This does not mean God is praying to anyone, but the very fact that he uses words to create an attribute only held by God himself. Listen to me. Look at me for just a moment, church. God is the only one who can speak and something happens. Any pastor that says that you can speak and create something yourself because you're a Christian doesn't understand the Word of God. And if I have to have a conversation with a pastor, I'm willing to have it as long as I can have my Bible open. God is the only one who can speak out of nothing and create something. That is an attribute only God himself holds. So what's important to see here that answers what prayer is in Genesis chapter 1 is that God speaks so those he makes in his image speak too. Words are formed and we are given language for a purpose. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. Listen to how God speaks here. He says, Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God speaks and creates humanity. Skip over to chapter 2. And we'll see man speak. God creates man and he speaks. 
Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Verse 23, then the man said, this is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Verse 25. So we see that God speaks in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, and he creates humanity in his image to speak. Man speaks when he sees woman for the first time. My dad used to say the joke that the first time he's, the, the, the reason her name was woman, because the first time he saw her, he was like, whoa, man. That's a bad joke. I'm going to tell him that when I see him again. We were made, listen to this, we were made with a desire to be connected first to God, then to each other. We were created, we were designed to live in community. And then in chapter 3 of Genesis, things fall apart. Man and woman believe the lie of the serpent, or they believe his word over God's word. God tells man, do not, you can have whatever you want in this garden, just do not eat of this one tree. Five seconds later, what do they do? They believe the lie of the serpent we see in Genesis chapter 3, and they give in to the temptation to be like God. They believe his word. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Verses 8 through 13. Listen to this, to this narrative in Genesis, starting in verse 8. This is after they eat of the, of the fruit of the tree. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that that you have done? What is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So here we see this narrative take place of man and woman giving into the lie of Satan and eating of the fruit, and then sin enters the world. Our world is turned upside down. And even in those few verses, we see a prayer. In verses 8 through 13, we see that man confesses his sin. He knows that he can't hide from God. He says, I, I was afraid and I hid myself because I knew that I was shameful. He confesses his sin to God. We see the first prayer in Genesis chapter 3, the first prayer of contrition or confession of sin. 
God creates mankind to be in relationship with him. Because of sin, there must be reconciliation between God and man because this relationship has been broken. Because God is creator and he is holy, it is on his terms and the terms are perfection. Listen to this. You must be perfect to have a relationship with God. And you're like, this is not at all the message I thought I'd be hearing this morning, after, especially with the week that I've had. God demands perfection. You must be perfect. You must be sinless. You must be holy to be in relationship with a perfect, with a sinless, with a holy God. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, we don't have to read that whole section. God curses creation there. We see the curse take place. He curses first the serpent. He curses woman. And then lastly, he curses man. But with a massive gospel explosion, Christ is foretold of in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I, I do want you to see this. Turn there if you would. Genesis 3, 15. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is wording for he will come and he will crush your head. The offspring of the woman. Did you know, look at me for just a moment. Genesis 3.15, the rest of your Bible is a footnote to that verse. Because it was the foretelling of the Messiah who was coming to reconcile the world to fix everything that was broken, to call those who he was saving to himself by his spirit. The rest of your Bible, the rest of it, is a footnote to this one verse. The Messiah is coming. It was all awaiting for the day when the Lord Jesus himself would come born as a baby in our place, who lived a perfect life, who died a substitutionary death in your place and in mine, who defeated death after three days rising from the grave and ascending after 40 days where he intercedes. Maybe this is all you need to hear this morning, that the Lord Jesus prays for you. Maybe that's the only answer you need to hear about what is prayer, is that the Lord Jesus himself prays for you day and night both when you're praying and when you're not. The Lord Jesus continues to pray for you by name. Let that encourage you, saint, this morning. The Lord Jesus intercedes for you before the Father day and night. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 in the New Testament, starting in verse 14. Mind the right, Hebrews 4, 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. L listen to verse 16. Let this encourage you this morning. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer of Hebrews here says, this is what Jesus has done for you. Now come boldly, come confident before the throne of grace and find grace in time of need. The only, listen church, I want you to hear this. Look at me. The only reason we can pray as Christians is because of Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the what? The way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through what? Doing good works? Going to church enough? Walking old ladies across the street? I don't know why I always go to that one, but I do. Doing enough, meriting enough stuff that God says, okay, you're good enough, now you can come to me. Jesus says, the only way you can come to the Father is through me. Listen, that means prayer too. The only reason we can pray as Christians is because of Christ. Hold fast to your confession of Christ, the writer of Hebrews says. Look what he has done for us. He sympathizes with you in your weaknesses. All that you're experiencing now, he experienced too. And he doesn't look at you and say, look at this. I mean, come on, move on from here already. He looks at you and he says, I've been there too. Jesus is the only person who can look at you and say, I understand. After my dad died, several people came to me and said, I understand what you're going through. And I wanted to look at them and say, you don't. You don't know what I'm going through. I know your dad may have passed away, but you do not know what I'm experiencing. The Lord Jesus knows what it's like to go through loss. He looks at us and he says, I understand. And he prays for us day and night. Maybe what we've done over time is we've tried to attach our own meanings to what prayer is. And thus, we've complicated the matter, and we've made it frustrating. We love and serve a God who condescended. For those of you with children in this room, when you talk to your kids, do you talk to them from here, or do you come to their level? You come down to their level. The Lord Jesus condescended. The man Christ Jesus, the Word made flesh, simply put, an unimaginable, unexplainable God makes himself known in Christ, and he comes to live, he comes to die, he comes to rise and to ascend and intercede for those who were his enemies. Why? To be in relationship with them. And this is not, he, he did not do all this because he was lonely, or he had some man-sized hole in his heart but because we cannot find satisfaction anywhere else other than God. Look at Psalm 1611. I go here quite often. 
Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who sits at the right hand of God? The Lord Jesus. We cannot find satisfaction in our spouses, in our kids, in our career, in anything else we try to find satisfaction. We cannot fill that hole anywhere else but God. He is the only one who can satisfy us. So we must begin with this component. As we answer this question, we must begin with this component of relationship as we define prayer biblically. Prayer is, listen to this, prayer is first and foremost about communion. It's about relationship. Knowing, loving, and enjoying God as his sons and daughters, delighting in his will, resting in his promises, hiding in his shadow, confessing we are weak and he is strong, depending on his grace, looking forward to his coming, and above all, Above all those things, confident in his sovereign purposes. So what is prayer? Prayer is that in Christ, I can come to God boldly as his kid, because in humility, I am learning to know him. I am learning to love him. I am learning to trust him and align my will to his. I am learning to ask, to seek, to knock, to confess my sin, to intercede for others in thankful submission as a conversation with my creator. You want me to say that one more time? What is prayer? Prayer is that in Christ I can come to God boldly as his kid because in humility I am learning to know him, love him, and trust him. Align my will to his, ask, seek, knock, confess my sins, intercede for others in thankful submission as a conversation with my creator. Katina read for us this morning out of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. If you would turn there one more time with me, 1 Thessalonians, if I can find it. Kyle, can you throw it up on the screen for me? Says, Paul says, rejoice always. Pray without what? Pray without ceasing. Let this be your attitude. Let me, let me confess something to you. I, I've, this is my first time to be a lead guy, like the lead pastor. And I have, I've worried about my family before, but to have a flock of sheep that I constantly think about, and then to not see one for several weeks, week after week after week, after reaching out, after going by, after all these things, you start to worry as a shepherd. And here's what I've, I've told myself. Even just this morning, I was thinking about someone that I haven't seen in a while. Here's what I started telling myself. Instead of sitting there and worrying, Ricky, why don't you pray? How can you tell your people to pray and you're not doing it? 
stop worrying and pray. So I did. As I got up this morning, I started thinking about that person and just, just kind of worrying about them. And I said, Lord, I cast my anxieties on you. You know exactly what this person's going through. And can, can you remind them that we love them? Can you remind them of the good news of the gospel? I just started praying and I just felt this worry be lifted off of me. So this is, this is in real time, church. I am learning to pray just like you're learning to pray. We have to learn this together. Pray without ceasing, Paul says. Let this be your attitude of continuous prayer. Instead of worrying, instead of giving yourself to anxiety, instead of giving yourself to anger, instead of giving yourself into hopelessness, pray. What is prayer? Is that in Christ, I can come confident, I can come boldly as his kid. In humility, learning to know him, love him, and trust him, aligning my will to his, asking, seeking, knocking, confessing my sin, interceding for others in thankful submission as a conversation with my creator. Listen, let me end this way. How crazy is it that the God of the Bible would allow us to speak to him? We don't deserve that. We don't deserve anything. It is all by grace. So here's, here's what I would ask as we go through this series in prayer. The definitions that you thought you had of prayer, me too, let's sit those to the side. And let's let this define what prayer is and what it's not. Let's let the Word of God do that. The only, listen, church, the only authority that I ever have is because the Word of God is open. When it's closed, I don't have any authority. When the Word of God is open, we have authority. So let's submit ourselves to what prayer is biblically. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, says this, Prayer itself is an art which only the Holy Spirit can teach us. He is the giver of all prayer. Pray for prayer. Pray until you can pray. Pray until you can pray. So I want to make this invitation. Kristen, you can go ahead and come up. If you're in this place and you, far, you find yourself far away from God, or you don't know if you're a Christian or not, I, I, I've got some bad news for you. You can't pray. You cannot pray because you, you don't know Christ. I just said it earlier, you have to know Christ as Lord and as Savior to pray to God. And you're like, what, Ricky, how, how do we come to Christ? In prayer. So here's what I would say. If you're here this morning and you're being crushed by your sin, repent of that sin and in prayer, place your faith and your trust in Jesus. Don't leave this place without knowing him as Savior. 
He came and he lived a physical life in your place and in mine. He died a substitutionary death in your place and in mine. He defeated death after three days in your place and in mine. So we had access to the Father. Don't put it off any longer. Do not harden your hearts this morning. And if, in your, if you are in Christ, if you consider yourself a Christian in this place, we pray because of Christ. We can only come to the Father because of what Jesus did in our place. Think first and foremost, as we take some time to worship in just a moment, think as you pray and as you sing, think first and foremost, it's primarily about communion with God. It's about relationship with God. It's not about all the things that we want to ask for. It's not even about thankfulness. It's not about confessing sin. All those things are components of prayer. But primarily, it's about communion with God. That's what prayer is. Let's spend some time doing that. Let's pray.